Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. This episode takes us back to the world of sport and the era of California baseball, when major league teams packed their bags and headed west in search of new opportunities. The Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants are the most famous teams that chose to leave, but others followed suit, and Major League Baseball also eventually made its way into America's Deep South. We're joined once again by very special guest, baseball historian Andy McHugh. Andy's the author of Mover and Shaker, Walter O'Malley, The Dodgers, and Baseball's Westward Expansion. Did you hear the news about what's happening in Brooklyn? We really got the blues about what's happening in Brooklyn. It ain't official yet. We hope official it don't get. But beware, my friend, and let me warn you. They're thinking of taking a bumps to California. Let's keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. You've just been listening there to celebrated Brooklyn performer Phil Foster singing his 1957 hit, Let's Keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. As you can probably gather, Mr Foster is quite proud of his hometown. His real name is Fievel Feldman, and he took his stage name from Brooklyn's Foster Avenue. Like many Brooklyn residents, His family are immigrants. They left Russia at the turn of the 20th century for a better future. Brooklyn, in the 1950s, is an extremely cosmopolitan place with many different communities and cultures. But one thing this diverse group of people have in common is a passion for baseball and a fierce and enduring loyalty to their local team. Today, baseball in America is associated with big money, bright lights, massive television events. But in the first half of the 20th century, baseball is much more parochial. And for the fans, it gives them a sense of community, belonging and civic pride. There are two major leagues, the National League and the smaller American League. The famous players of the 40s and 50s, like Mickey Mantle, Jackie Robinson and Joe DiMaggio, have hero status to their young fans. In the Big Apple, New Yorkers are passionate about the Brooklyn Dodgers, the New York Yankees and the New York Giants. Times are changing, though. America's economy is moving forward and new technology is affecting the way people live. Television Air travel, automobiles, all of these things are becoming available or more available to ordinary American families in the late 1950s. People are watching games on TV rather than turning up in person to cheer on their team. Even when you're based in one of the biggest cities in the world, it's simply getting harder to make local baseball pay. Brooklyn fans speak out vocally against the idea of moving their team. But in late 1957, the rumours Phil Foster hears about the Brooklyn Dodgers are proved correct. Beset by financial problems 
and without a satisfactory pitch to play on, the Dodgers leave their home ground, Ebbets Field, and settle in Los Angeles. Apparently, Phil Foster never forgives them. But although the Dodgers were the most famous baseball team to leave, they weren't the only one. Their old rivals, the New York Giants, are also preparing to head to California, to San Francisco. In the coming years, other teams will also up stakes, looking for better opportunities. But how did the game get to this point? Our guest Andy McHugh gives us a quick overview of how baseball changed in the mid-20th century, from the 1940s to the late 50s. Well, the big thing, of course, in the early 40s would have been World War II, which disrupted baseball like it did virtually everything else. And after the war, uh, everybody came home. Baseball had a huge boom in attendance uh, for several years because uh, all the, the guys who'd been in the military had missed it. They were mostly young and single and uh, looking for entertainment. So attendance was huge. And then they got married. Uh, they started having kids, going back to school. Their lives got more complicated. And then television came along. And slowly that attendance boom kind of just whittled away into the into the mid-50s. There was also the, the pressure for integration, which began in... Uh, 1946, when Jackie Robinson first played in the minors, and then in 1947, when he made the major leagues and teams, some of them quickly, some of them very slowly, began to integrate. Uh, that process wasn't really complete, and, and frankly, even then was superficial in a lot of ways uh, until uh, the very, very late 50s. So that was a big change. And then there was the kind of waiting power of, of demographic change, which had really started before World War II, but then accelerated afterwards, in that baseball at that point, 16 franchises, it had been that way for 50 years. They were all concentrated in the northeast quadrant of the, of the country. But um, there'd been tremendous growth, especially during World War II, uh, along the West Coast and uh, in the southern United States. And those were markets which baseball was having a great deal of trouble figuring out how to access, or at least Major League Baseball was. In the middle 50s, uh, responding to these demographic changes, there were three cities in the Northeast, all of which had two teams, <clears throat> and where one of the teams moved to try and find a better market. But they weren't very adventurous when they moved. The farthest went out to Kansas City, kind of in the middle of the country, but that was still closer to the East Coast than it was to the West Coast. So they didn't have a lot of imagination about it. Then in 1958, two teams from New York City moved to the West Coast, uh, the Dodgers to Los Angeles, the Giants to San Francisco. And that really touched off a, a really three decades of competition between the two leagues. Uh, as to who was going to really control the better markets in the country. The, the National League, which, of which both the Dodgers and the Giants were a part, had made the move to the West Coast, and the uh, American League was kind of struggling to catch up, and it would, it would take them a while, especially since they were also uh, clearly far behind in integration, and their, their teams just weren't as interesting as those in the National League. 
Although the East Coast is the home of Major League Baseball, the game is found everywhere in 1950s America. Since the gold rush hit the West Coast in the mid-19th century, the game has been played there too. It's just that the teams play in minor leagues, the largest of which is the Pacific Coast League. Pacific Coast has high-quality teams and it produces some of baseball's best athletes, including Joe DiMaggio. But although they try hard to become a major league, they are rejected. The other leagues don't want any more competition and they want to preserve the Los Angeles and San Francisco markets for themselves. Returning to New York in 1957, the New York Giants have many of the same issues as the Brooklyn Dodgers. They're losing money, and they also need a new ballpark. The Giants initially decide to move to Minneapolis in the Midwestern state of Minnesota, but after speaking to the Dodgers owner, Walter O'Malley, the Giants owner begins thinking about heading to California instead. Andy McHugh talks about the Giants' situation. The Giants basically had the had the same problems as as the Dodgers did, although uh, somewhat worse. Uh, their attendance had been falling. Uh, they were in an old ballpark, the Polo Grounds, uh, which had been around for fifty years. They knew they needed a new park. They weren't as proactive about that as the Dodgers had been. The Dodgers had been working very hard to get themselves a new ballpark in New York. Uh, the Giants were kind of more passive, but they were losing money. And uh, like for both teams, they were not owned by corporations. They were basically owned by individuals, and this was their sole source of income. So if the team didn't do well financially, they worried about that. And eventually Horace Stoneham, who was the majority owner of the Giants, decided things were not going to work out in New York that he was going to have to move, and he was set to move. He told the other owners in the uh, National League in the spring of 1957 that he was going to move his team to Minneapolis, which was one of the larger cities, again, in the old Northeast Quadrant that, that didn't have a, have a team. Well, after the meeting, he was approached by Walter O'Malley of the Dodgers, who was already in the process of, of deciding whether to move his team to Los Angeles, and he said to Stoneham, why don't you think of going to San Francisco? We could retain the rivalry, which had been very important and very profitable for both teams in New York City, that they could retain this rivalry on the West Coast because of the existing rivalry between Los Angeles and San Francisco. And Stoneham thought that was a good idea. O'Malley put him in touch with some people in San Francisco, and eventually the city, the city there agreed to build him a ballpark. Uh, and rent it to him at a very favorable rate. So that was fine with him. <clears throat> he decided he could go, uh, and he did. And that really cemented a huge lead by the National League in terms of overall attendance over the American League, because they'd wrapped up those the two best available markets in the country for the National League. So how do the Dodgers and the Giants fare in California? The newly christened Los Angeles Dodgers get off to a shaky start, but they're embraced by the citizens of L.A. after they win another World Series in 1959. For a while, being seen at a Dodgers game is all the rage with actors and pop stars. 
the team is still very popular today, winning 12 National League championships and six World Series between 1958 and 2022. Their old adversaries, now called the San Francisco Giants, have a harder time in terms of sporting success when they first move west. But today they're still considered one of the best American baseball teams, and the rivalry between the Giants and the Dodgers is one of the most famous and the longest in the history of American team sport. Andy McHugh, a Californian local himself, says that in L.A. the celebrity interest in the Dodgers team tends to come and go. It's a bit more fickle than the passion of their old supporters in Brooklyn. Celebrities are very conscious of whatever else is hot at the moment. And when the Dodgers first moved to Los Angeles, they were hot. And all the celebrities came out and there'd be pictures of them sitting in the stands. Then, uh, you know, things cooled down. The Dodgers had some poor years. Things with the Lakers in basketball became very hot. And all of a sudden, all the celebrities wanted to be seen sitting courtside at the Laker games rather than going to Dodger Stadium. Then the Lakers faded a bit and the Dodgers have been strong the last decade or so. And now you're seeing more celebrities go out to Dodger Stadium. And you know, frankly, some of that is fake. A television network or a show that is trying to get itself some publicity will send the stars to a Dodger game and make sure that the cameras get turned on their, on their stars to be out there. Some of these people probably really are baseball fans. Some of them are probably just out there for the publicity. And it's over time that you figure out who, who the people are who are real fans. Other major league teams, inspired by the Dodgers and the Giants, eventually leave the East in the 1960s, moving westwards and also into the Deep South. The Los Angeles Angels are created and become rivals to the Dodgers. And another major league team, the Padres, is established in San Diego. The A's relocate to Oakland, California in the late 1960s, after spending more than 10 years in Kansas. In 1966, the Milwaukee Braves also make the move into Atlanta, the first time a National League team has appeared in the Deep South. Following suit, the Washington Senators move into Texas in 1972, where they become the Texas Rangers. There are many major transitions at this time, and they don't always go smoothly. The American League's new Seattle team, for instance, ends up moving to Milwaukee instead after going bankrupt. One of the main factors that allows players to move so easily between the states is air travel. Today we take it for granted, but pre-World War II it was highly unusual for private citizens to travel by plane. Between the First and Second World Wars, in the 1920s and 30s, huge advances were made in the development of military aircraft technology, and after the Second World War ended, ex-military aircraft were often converted to transport people and cargo. Social factors were also pushing changes in sport. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American player in the major leagues, famously joining the Dodgers in 1947, and as the 1950s and 60s progressed, 
more and more black players were signed up to the major leagues. Our guest Andy talks about racial integration during this period and whether it had an effect on where the teams went. The factors that pushed integration had relatively little to do with geography. I think it did prevent teams from moving into the Deep South as fast as they might have otherwise. Um, It certainly made California, which had the reputation of being a more tolerant environment, uh, although that was probably overblown, it it made it easier for teams to move there. But, um, you know, the, the integration was basically being pushed by social factors outside of baseball to, you know, by, by things in Congress, by things in the general culture, and then within baseball being pushed by the fact that if you got the right black players, your team was better um, and your team was going to win more. And so they were out there. They began to seriously look at, you know, at signing and developing more black players because it was to their advantage to do so. But what happened to the teams left behind? The departure of the Dodgers and the Giants was not as good for the remaining team, the New York Yankees, as they originally hoped. But in the early 60s, the game did recover. Andy McHugh thinks the move also meant that cities started to recognise that their sports teams were free to leave, so they started looking after their baseball teams better, making an effort to ensure that the baseball grounds were not too expensive to rent and to maintain. The Yankees, who were the only team left in New York, thought this was going to be a big bonanza for them. And yet in the first season after the Dodgers and Giants left, their attendance actually went down. It was like the whole discussion in New York about baseball. It wasn't something that people talked about quite as much and it hurt them. But the, the, the city responded. Uh, the city put together a task force uh, to get National League Baseball back into New York. And that eventually worked with the expansion of 1961-62, uh, which brought the Mets. And the, the, Mets, the Mets were a terrible team. Uh, they were just awful. They, the other National League owners made sure to give them the worst possible talent for the most possible money. And they weren't very good. But they were National League Baseball, and a lot of people in New York wanted to watch National League Baseball. First, uh, the Mets made an effort to uh, bring in old Dodger and Giant players whom the people were familiar with. Most of them were getting old and were really, you know, not that good on the field, but they did reinforce the idea that this was National League Baseball uh, and Major League Baseball. And so people flocked uh, to the Mets uh, and became kind of a, a reverse psychology thing. The Yankees were successful and they were kind of pompous and lordly about that. Whereas the, the Mets were really a, a rag or muffin, every man's kind of team and people responded to that. And eventually the Mets became uh, quite good winning the World Series in, in 1969. So it, it, changed the, uh, it changed the landscape of New York baseball that way, it it really, I think what it did was it it cemented in the, in the hearts of every city in the United States uh, and Canada, for that matter, that 
these guys can leave. I mean, that's what the move of the Giants and the Dodgers did. These weren't second teams in overcrowded cities as it had been for the moves in the mid-50s. These were well-known, successful teams, and they moved because they couldn't get a stadium situation resolved. So that put it in the, in the heart of every city uh, that was interested that they had to do something about stadiums. And as a result, for 30 years, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, teams or cities built stadiums for teams and basically handed it to them for very low-level rents. I mean, but, but between Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, which was privately built by the Dodgers, and uh, the Giants' new stadium in San Francisco, which was mostly privately built in the early 90s, everything that was built in between, you know, a couple of generations of stadiums, were all paid for by the taxpayers. Today, there is a generation of fans who still look back at the 1950s and 1960s as the end of baseball's golden age. The nickname for the Brooklyn Dodgers is even the Boys of Summer. But as Andy McHugh points out, maybe the world of sports always seems brighter when we look back into the past. Their New York fans were heartbroken, but the Dodgers and the Giants' decision to leave did ultimately pay off for both teams. What is certain is that the relocations to California transformed the landscape of the game. They also heralded a changing approach to professional sport, where teams and players are not necessarily bound to a particular place. Baseball fans in America still get that feeling of pride and joy whenever the team they support does well. But the world is smaller now, and both the era of the Brooklyn Dodgers and of California baseball, mentioned by Billy Joel in the song, are over. Andy gives us some final thoughts. At, at whatever levels I was capable of playing at, I played in California, which were not very high levels. You know, you, you, you see that the state change and baseball change, and sometimes they change together, and sometimes they change in different ways. Um, but ultimately, at, certainly at the major league level, it's, it's, more, it's more important to be major league than to be in California. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. I'm Robin Harrison. Thank you once more to baseball historian Andy McHugh, the author of Mover and Shaker, Walter O'Malley, The Dodgers, and Baseball's Westward Expansion. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer, Elena McPhee. Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song. We'll travel to the US states of Nebraska and Wyoming to discuss one of the darker events of the late 1950s, the spree killing known as the Starkweather Homicide. For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com, that's nzpodz.com. Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, 
And please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.